This is the City Sites Podcast with Larry Kutzler. The, probably the best example uh, is taken from Luke 10 and Matthew 10, where Jesus instructed the disciples to go out and bring the kingdom of God into dark places. And he sent them off in pairs. They found uh, oikos, is the Greek word for household. It's a social web of relationships. It's, it's where everybody knows everyone. It's like cheers. Everyone knows your name. They all hang out. They all know each other. And you enter in and you bring the kingdom of God with you to that place. And when you find a person of peace there, that person of peace becomes a, a life change, a light in that darkness. And others in the oikos, in the relationships, they see Christ, they respond to that, and a church is born. Most of the time when we do church planting, evangelism. We lead someone to Christ, we draw them out of their oikos and plug them into our oikos and stop all movement. But the way Jesus described it is you implant an existing oikos with the gospel, with the kingdom of God, let it change lives, and then it can go to the next one and the next one after that. So starting an organic church is just simply as easy as bringing Jesus with you into a dark place and letting that light shine. God has everything under control. There's nothing happening today that he hasn't foreseen. No matter what may be happening in your life or the society in which we live, he is still in control. With God, always in control means that he will see you through whatever you're facing. Trust God and see what he does in your favor today. Thanks for listening. This podcast is the design of City Sites Urban Media, and our goal is to bring into focus the difference between culture and God's ideas found in His Word. To learn more, go to citysitesurbanmedia.com. Well, we've been talking here on the podcast about the dark side of ministry and what is the dark side of ministry and how can we avoid it? Because when we shine the light on any industry, I don't care if it's policing or medical care, whatever, we'll find usually things that are not right, techniques or certain policies that are not fair or they don't include every person. And so today I want to talk about the dark side of ministry in terms of structure, of how structure can actually lend itself to become more of an advocate to the dark side of ministry than to the light side. And with me again is counselor, teacher, writer, David McKnight. David, last time you sort of unpacked the idea of what is the dark side of ministry. You gave a lot of examples of what's happened. And one of the examples you gave, well, several of the examples you gave, you talked about the pastor as being sort of the the central figure within the church. And that seemed to me, at least it always has been, could be a vulnerable position for the individual because the church today wants somebody like a CEO or that person has to drive everything. And as long as they're driving everything, we've got people coming, we've got money in the offering plate, yada, yada, yada. But I'm not sure it is the best structure to give a person or even a couple of people the authority over everything. I want you to speak to that. At the core of what I do, Larry, has been to help people understand what's right about them. So in working with a pastor, I wanted him to know, in essence, what's his internal job description? How has God made him or her to do what they're called to do? And so oftentimes is a real eye-opener for that individual. 
because, you know, they're looking at all the different examples of the kinds of ministry that they want to try to project and be a part of, yet it may have nothing to do with how God designed them. And so churches, oftentimes, they're not clear about what it is they really need, what it is they really want from a pastor. And so oftentimes there is, in a search committee, you might have 10 people around the table. You might have 10 different versions of what this person's supposed to do. So it's a it's really a tricky thing. And so if you've got somebody who's uh, made to come alongside people and, and, and be a counselor and a listener and just loves people, he may be a so-so preacher. And yet the church has to be okay with that because he'll be an authentic preacher if that's understood. But if the church wants, you know, wants a Billy Graham and wants a real stellar preacher and they got this counselor guy, they're going to be frustrated. I have seen that happen on a number of occasions, and they start grumbling about that. And quite often, the structure does dictate, I say, structure dictates results. So when I would go into a church situation, I want to look at the structure. That's going to tell me what's really going on here. And quite often, I rank things as six things that are important in a church. First of all, vision and mission need to be clear. Values need to be understood then it's vision, mission, value, strategy, tactics, and then implementation. So often, churches will jump from, I think we got the vision, now let's go. <laughs> they go to the execution. They go to the extra thing. And yeah. so I once was invited to come to a church in another state, and uh, it happened to be that there was going to be a lot of engineers probably in that congregation. I didn't know because General Moses was right there. And so I was advised maybe to let people know that I understood who they were. Mm -hmm. I'm not an engineer by my thinking. So I'm in this room. I put on the whiteboard those six things, vision, mission, values, strategy, tactics, implementation. And then we began talking about what, what it is they wanted. And they kept wanting to jump down this implementation. And, and I said, unless we get this figured out, you're going to be going in circles. One of the things I pointed out to them at that time was out on their marquee, it talked about becoming a member of the family at this church. So there were 15 or 20 people in the room. They were all part of the leadership of this church. And so I asked them to go around the room, give me their name and why they attended this church. So they went around the room. Not one person said I was looking for a family. Mm. There were a number of reasons why they wanted to show up. The thing we haven't talked about, Larry, is safe, mm -hmm. safety. So I think churches that are operating in a more shame-based culture or system, and sometimes that can be played out by the office manager. Boards will go out and make plans and decisions, and the pastor, and then it, gets, it has to go through the, this person, mm. and they're really the gatekeeper. Yes. That's one of the things that I have noticed as well. As a pastor for many years, I think some churches give too much authority to one person, and, and then they silence others. Yeah. For example, structure can be quite biblical yeah. around the idea of, say, women and their role within the church. And yeah. there are churches that will not allow a woman to either teach or preach or any of that. Yeah. And that at the same time, there are churches that just pretty much let the pastor run whatever. It only becomes a problem later on, perhaps, where they notice that he's done some things that lack integrity. And so this whole idea of structure needs to be more based in accountability 
ability, a plurality of leaders, so yeah. that there are many leaders that that kind of can make up where others are shorted. You know, they're not quite as gifted in this area, mm-hmm. such as teaching, but others have great other gifts of financial accountability or management, yeah. or uh, they're, they're pleasant with people and they have a great personality with people. So I do think that when we begin to think that the pastor is the only leader in the church, I think we are moving toward a dark side. Yeah. And when we look at Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, it talks about the fivefold ministry. And my question to you, David, is this. Why is it that only one person or one of those gifts is elevated in the modern church, in the modern American church? That is the pastor. But where do we get the other, the teacher and the prophet and the apostle? I mean, where do they fit into this? And why is it that only one gift is seen every Sunday from a little box in the front of the church? I'm not sure that's the kind of structure that the New Testament exemplifies yeah. in the book of Acts or, you know, in the yeah. writings of Paul. Well, Larry, you and I both went to seminary. So how much training was there for prophets and apostles? <laughs> it's all pastors. It's all pastors. It's all about pastors. It's all about pastors. So, and and that is, to me, uh, David, maybe it's not as much of a dark side as a shortcoming. Yeah. But that shortcoming can easily lead to the dark side yeah. because we're giving people a presentation that's not complete. Yeah. This book is, uh, I brought this along, Pagan mm-hmm. Christianity. Have you ever read that? And who's that by? It's by Frank Viola. Oh, I yeah. have heard of it. Yeah, I have Frank. not read it. So mm-hmm. he has this, read this sentence here. Through revered five centuries, the conventional sermon has contributed to the malfunction of the church in a number of ways. And then he goes on to describe what so, those are. So what you're saying is that the sermon, or what he's saying, yeah. is that it, it could be a detriment. It could be a detriment. Detriment to to the whole thing we're trying to do. I mean, just think about it. We've got two hundred. It's recently I heard statistics: two hundred thousand people in America who would not say they're Christians. Two hundred thousand. Whoa! And so, how many billions of dollars are spent by churches to, in essence, be the church in America? Mm-hmm. So, America has become one of the largest mission fields. Mm-hmm. today that has precipitously gotten larger and larger over the last 10 to 15 years in our country. So if we're putting all our eggs on that sermon to evangelize or to tell the story, who is it telling it to? The same people. Same people have, over and over yeah, again. Yeah, people right. inside the fort. Right. So, I mean, I had a target executive meet with me and he was thinking, maybe I should, you know, I have this unction, maybe I should be in ministry, you know. Mm-hmm. So I asked him, so how many people are report to you? He says about 250. You know, I said, well, that's a, that's a nice congregation to get started with. Mm. I said, if you really want to go into ministry, go audit a course in seminary and see if that's really what you want to do. Mm. But you've got a much larger platform for the gospel in your job. But see, no one teaches how to do that. No one lets people know. I was in physical therapy yesterday, and I was talking, learned that my physical therapist was a Christian, but he just didn't really know how to translate his faith mm-hmm. in the area. Here he is you know, fixing people, and there's just all kinds of ways. And I'm looking forward to more sessions with him <laughs> to help him see that, oh my, you've got an opportunity here. Mm-hmm. But I've never heard a sermon about that. 
Well, and again, I, I appreciate that idea that the sermon has become the center focus of our worship, and it's just not the way I think it was designed to be. You said something last week I thought was uh, instrumental in my understanding more on this topic, and that is that pastors or church leaders do not value the pew. They don't value the people in the pew. Yes. David, you gave me an example on another occasion where you said, well, we— call people forward and pray for them when we send them overseas to the mission field. But every week we have people going to a mission field called the marketplace, marketplace. and we never pray over them or tell them they're missionaries uh, Monday through Friday. And their call, their own mission field in the marketplace is equally important as the person that's going overseas. To our Heavenly Father, there is no sacred or secular. To him, everything is sacred. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, even as a kid, and when I grew up, and it would be September and school's about to start, and they would invite the Sunday school teachers to come forward and pray but not the school teachers. Mm-hmm. And I always kind of wondered, well, what's the deal with that? Frank Viola is talking about the history of the sermon. And this is Paul Tillich makes this statement. Christian preaching in and of itself will never change the culture. I want you to say that again. Paul Tillich stated that Christian preaching will never change the culture. And yet we're banking so much of changing the culture on Christian preaching. You know, that's really kind of an indictment, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, because a lot is uh, goes into the Sunday morning sermon, I know our pastor spends, you know, hours and hours and hours and hours, both in prayer and in preparation. Yeah. You know, if we're not changing the church by our preaching, what will change it? Well, I think what will change it is what's being preached. Whoa. Not just let's go away with preaching. Okay, give me an example. But, uh, give me an example of what should be preached that'll change the church. Well, as a layperson sitting in the pew, I know what I'm faced with this week. Give me something that will help me know how to bring my faith into my work, my encounters, my job, and I just never hear that. Really? And my wife said to me a number of years ago, I don't go to church expecting to learn anything. She said that. Yeah, and she's Mm -hmm. the daughter of a pastor. So then I I started bringing notebooks and journals Mm -hmm. with me so I could have something to study (laughs) while the preacher was preaching. Okay, so if that's true, if if this author is right, that we're not going to change the culture by our sermons, well, what will change it? In other words, you're saying it's the theme or the topic. If you were given a, a blank slate, say 500 people, this is a blank slate. We don't even have a name yet, but these 500 people want to be a church and they want to be an effective church. What does that look like to David McKnight? Well, we don't give executives who have 250 people working for them a, be a parking lot attendant in the church. Okay. That's not a good use of how God has made this person. Mm-hmm. And it's not honoring of how who they are. Mm-hmm. And I had a pastor who got hired larger church out on the west side, and they didn't really have a job description for him. But they just knew he was top talent, and they wanted him on their staff. Mm. And he said, what should I do? I said, start visiting every business guy, get to know them, honor them, and your ministry will show itself. And it did. Mm. So he created his role in the church as a associate minister working with men uh, and businesses, and he became a safe place 
for those guys. So that's what it would look like in, in one aspect, that you'd want people who are gifted in some talent, whether it's secular or it doesn't really matter, but to use that gift in, in the purposes of spreading the gospel. Yeah, it would be honoring if I felt that the pastor cared enough to get to know me and encourage me and you know, and what you're doing, okay, that so would change my life. It would. So let's just say a Sunday morning, the same 500 people, this yeah. blank slate. Yes. You're bringing them in together. What are you going to do with them? You're going to have a preacher preach at them? Or would you have multiple people? Would you have a variety of spontaneity yeah. of gifts and, and talents that actually will feed the church something? Yeah. Well, is that what you're I looking think for? We have so, so many ways to communicate today through video and through personal storytelling. I think everybody's got stories. So it isn't just a pastor's story. It might be the story of someone in the pew who gets up and shares a, so that they can see, oh, that's what I see how to do that or Oh, that's a great idea. It is coming from someone who sits in the pew with them. So I think if the pastor understands that and he, he or she removes the mantle of I'm the be all to end all, that I think the authenticity of what he or she is saying will be heard. I don't think it's often heard. And I think a lot of times people pat the pastor on the back for a good sermon when they, they don't know if it was or not. Okay, so some of the dark side of the church is, is just the way we do structure and the way we do church because it's not really conforming to the kind of go into all the world, into all the earth, and preach the gospel. Does that start perhaps in our seminaries, in our training institutions, where we're training people to be mechanics and we live in a food service world? Yeah. So is, is that kind of what we're dealing with, is that we're just not getting people into the right kind of mode of thinking yeah. that we can be successful with people and managing people for the kingdom. I've been in this consulting with churches for, I don't know, maybe 10 years, and I went and was invited to speak at the seminary that I attended to about 15 or 16. I guess they were all men at the time who were about to uh, graduate and go out into ministry. So I asked them to go around the room and tell me what their ministry looked like five years from now. And it was interesting. Only three could give me pictures of what that looked like. The rest of them said, well, I'll be doing ministry. And I said, maybe, or you may be looking for an exit strategy. And so I approached the head of the seminary. I said, I'm experiencing this out in the church world mm. that five years and they're out. I don't think that's what you want. And I think you've, you've got to somehow get them to understand the leadership and what it is so that they can look and see situations where as a leader, quasi-leader, you know, a titular head, whatever you want to call them, what's really going on here in this environment and what do I, as, as in my role, do I need to be a leader? And, and so they literally changed the curriculum for the whole seminary. That is really a, an amazing sea change yeah. for a seminary to, to look beyond just how the models have been, you know, established over the years and yeah. how they train pastors. But you said something just a moment ago. You said five years and out. Yeah. Are the statistics high for people to wash out of ministry? Yeah, I think so. I think if they're not looking out, they're, they're, they're receding. You know, they're pulling away. They're hanging on. They may stay on for family, for their kids. Or I just see an awful lot of pastors who are broken. 
I see a lot of boredom. I see a lot of pastors who really, you know, they're, they're stuck, they're trapped, they're bored in, in what they're doing. And, and today, a pastor is sometimes of a target of everybody's theological gripe. And I'm not seeing that as being profitable. I think that's actually kind of dark. Yeah. Because of media today, they can get instruction and Bible studies over the airwaves, you know, yeah. in a hundred or a thousand different yeah. ways. And then they bring all of this sometimes crazy stuff right yeah. into the church. Yeah. And a pastor just isn't equipped to do all, you know, all of this. And the pressure that yeah. comes on him or yeah. her is enormous. Yeah. And that's what I don't think those sitting in the pew understand. You know, I lived with a my father, I saw many times the angst that he experienced and what he was trying to trying to lead people and get them to see things beyond their own noses and his own frustration. And so he got offered to be run a year-round camp for the denomination that we were part of, and he waited a year to take that role till I graduated from high school. And I remember him saying as he was working there, and I did some work at that camp too, he says, David, I can fix the toilet and it doesn't talk back to me. <laughs> wow. And he, I think, had his most fruitful ministry when he retired at 62. Mm. And then he could be free to be uh, be the uh, the senior pastor to seniors and just mm-hmm. do whatever he wanted to do right. and, and wasn't feeling the pressure of trying to run this thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of the dark side of expectations, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, in a congregation, we churches expect the pastor to do this and do that. You know, you have to have the most gorgeous, you know, wife in the church or you have to have all the your kids in line and they never get out of line and and never act up. It's it the expectations for for being a clergy today is, is beyond what most people can actually, you know, right. live up to. And I think we set them up to fail. We do, yes. And I think the church, if you're going to be a church, I think everyone's, you know, like the priesthood of all believers, mm-hmm. right? You all are the ministers. Mm-hmm. It's not left up to a person who you hire, the yeah. professional. Yeah. It's his or her job to really inspire us and, and get us motivated in a certain direction. I think in some ways there are people sitting in the pew that have started businesses, know how to start businesses, and they could just turn that corner and help us to start a new ministry or a new church to grow in a way it should grow, yeah. but oftentimes they're not challenged to do yeah. so. They're, they're not they're not honoring those who sit in the pew. Yeah. Well, David, there's a lot more that we're going to be covering. I will be covering with you and others on this dark side of ministry because I think it's time that we have a reset. Mm-hmm. We look at our structures. We we look at what is has not worked in terms of training our pastors or or how we uh, do ministry as a group. And uh, even the worship services, sometimes I come into church, and I'll be honest, sometimes I'm bored because it's the same thing that I heard last week and the week before and the week before. Maybe the cover tunes change, but that's not worship. Worship is the time where I'm interacting with God, and we're doing it together, but it's not done by somebody's music list or somebody's sermon. So I think we need to really seriously look at the way we're doing church and and maybe find some new ways to reach people or grow the people that Mm -hmm. we're entrusted to in the things of God so that they too can be ministers. Any last word? I often thought I would like to go to church and there would be silence so that I could hear the voice of God. No smoke machines? No smoke machines, no whatever. 
maybe it was about 12, 15 years ago, I was sitting in church, and it dawned on me that I was in charge, that it was up to me to worship, and it just didn't happen for 20 minutes on Sunday morning. And I needed to make worship a part of my life. Took the onus off the church trying to do it for me. I believe God gives us the ability to worship him when we will rest in his love. He'll give us the resources, the plans, and he'll give us the ability to worship him. He gives us the ability to worship him. It's not up to us, but he gives us the ability to worship him. And then worship becomes a very different thing. Thank you for joining us today. Every Friday we bring you this podcast with interviews with people who are challenging the status quo of Christianity and challenging the cultural norms of our day. Please help us get the word out by sharing the link to this podcast with your online friends and family. Our website also contains other podcasters who are part of the City Sites network of communicators all sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our website is citysitesurbanmedia.com. <laughs>